Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Yellow Cup Podcast, episode 57. Just wanted to say before I get into this new episode and who I have with me, major, major love on um, the last episode with, with Kiz Daniel. You guys obviously loved it. Uh, just major love. Like, it was chaotic and absolute fun. Uh, imagine what it was like for me to record that with him but on to the next one as you can hear or maybe you can't I don't know this episode is being recorded virtually it's still a pandemic out there and there's just diff- every guest has different requirements and stuff like that and it just seems as if all of my guests are you know they are unable through management and things like that unable to gain permission to come into the studio which is fair enough social distancing and whatnot. So, episode 57, I have with me Shay Akiwowo, who is the founder and executive director of Glitch, a young not-for-profit organisation determined to end online abuse through education and campaigns. Now, Shay uses her expertise to travel the globe, yes, globe, developing practical solutions with governments, NGOs and companies to protect our online public spaces from hate and abuse. Now if you've been listening to my podcast for a hot minute you know that I'm very very passionate about you know protecting your um, protecting your boundaries online so it made so much sense to have Shay on. Now Shay's CV is incredible like I feel like I'm gonna run out of breath um saying exactly what she has done and achieved but I have to you have to give people their flowers while they're still here so Shay is um a digital leader of the year and in 2018 she was named stylist magazine's woman of the week her achievements have been captured in books such as slay in your lane you guys know about slay in your lane and she's also um the amnesty international's human rights defender and is part of the hashtag toxic twitter campaign to end online abuse against women she's been on many many different um, publications which we talk about in the episode she's been on bbc sky news and she you know something's going on in the world pop on your tv and you probably see shay there speaking now, Shay was invited um, back to Geneva to present um, at the 38 United Nations Human Rights Council on online gender-based violence. Now, you might be wondering what I mean by back to Geneva, to the UN. Now, before Shay did all of this, she was elected as the youngest black female councillor in East London at the age of 23 and had nine successful years working in politics and the charity and policy sector, um, both in the UK and Europe. And, you know, I absolutely love Shay's story. She's also a graduate from the London School of Economics and a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts and recently became a fellow of the Institute for Canadian Citizenship. And she's an inspirational speaker and writer and has written several critical pieces um, in many different publications, including The Guardian. Now, is that, a, is that a CV or what? So in this episode... Shay and I actually have a really, really good conversation. Now, I don't want to spoil it for you because after this little bit of music, we're going to find out exactly what we said. Talk up, talk up, speak 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 up, Yellow Cup Podcast with Toby Rachel.
Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yellow Cup podcast, which is a fun and honest lifestyle magazine podcast hosted by your favourite journalist, which is me, obviously, Toby Rachel, and you can expect conversations with no filter, ranging from social media trends to current affairs. Now, each episode will see me have in a guest into the studio. Now, things have changed a little bit, and I'm not really going to the studio as much, even though I just I just went back, um, and I will invite over a co-host, and today... My special guest is the lovely Shay Akiwawu. How are you, darling? I'm good, thank you. And thank you so much for pronouncing my name with that great Yoruba emphasis. I love it. <laughs> no worries. I mean, how, I would be so embarrassed if I didn't. <laughs> I'd be like, no, I would actually just be like, we, got, we have to start again if I didn't do it right. I well, mean, I do you remember what happened in back? when a certain BBC presenter yes. mispronounced my name we I took remember. it as banner and then pfft, so I, I get such anxiety when my name's about oh, to be no. mentioned oh my gosh I do remember do you know what is funny is that I was watching mm. that live I was at work um because yes you, t- you tweeted yeah. me yes because I was watching and, and I was like that was hilarious and I saw your face and it was just cute and funny and then it turned into this <laughs> thing and it was like how is this happening? And then an article, and I was like, what is going on? It was just funny. Well, look, (laughs) it's funny because I think us as black folks know to use Mm humour in the most distressing times. Otherwise, it's literally like, what is the point? Like, we won't get up again. It's like Mm -hmm. our way of being resilient. Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, when somebody added me saying, oh, they added me in the gif of my face saying, I've been, I can see this pain, I feel it, whatever. Like, I yeah. quote tweeted it and loved it. And let me tell you, there were people from Russia talk, telling about their experience of their names getting messed up. There were people from I Island. And I was like, what a great, inclusive conversation we're having. Yeah, lovely. And then the Daily Mirror just decided to spin it into this kind of um, woman versus woman um making me out to be this aggressive Ugh. black woman and 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 it was just how mad that i was on the program on bbc one show talking about online abuse following mm. caroline flack where the, all mm-hmm. newspapers said they were going to do better to be kind <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. and then <laughs> then they wrote this disinformation piece mm-hmm. in the middle of me doing a piece of research at Glitch on black women's experience of online abuse and disinformation. It was like, God, are you trying to make me feel as well as read during oh, like this, my this whole issue? It, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's mad how a lot of conversations we have now online through our banter, our culture and stuff, like makes it into the mainstream mu- news now and can be yeah. spun in a way that makes us hyper-targeted and I think yes I'm really uh, yeah I hope we can talk about that a little bit in our, in our yeah podcast, in this podcast well, yeah you know let's get into that right now because that is a very interesting topic um especially earlier we'll talk about lockdown as well but early in lockdown I have a theory about everyone just being hype the hyper something um online but I remember there was an incident where you know a well-known uh black influencer uh, some of her old tweets um re-emerged online and um mm-hmm. I I noticed that a lot of, I guess, my, I guess I just noticed how um, hypersensitive everyone was towards the situation, obviously because of lockdown. But then the irony was, is that people were talking about something she had done wrong online, but then they were trolling her online. And I was like, are you just proving a point? 
like are you just proving that you're literally just proving a point right like the things we're complaining about are happening now it's so hard to find the line around what is accountability what is calling somebody in and then what is necessary to call somebody out on and that not venturing into abuse Mm. and because you've not been able to have a conversation about online efficacy positive behavior you want to see online we are constantly doing things by trial and error and it means that a lot of people are getting caught up in the in the mix of it and a lot of people are getting hurt and we also have yet to have a proper conversation in our movements around feminism and around anti-racism around what accountability structure looks like so in for example democracy there is a way of being able to file a complaint against an MP um, in political parties. There are structures for complaints processes, as well as um, uh, being able to um, submit a court inquiry around um, uh, particular community issues that are important to you or put forward a kind of policy proposals. There's, there's a, an accountability mechanism in place, mm-hmm. but for activist movements and campaigns in the UK, I'm yet to see that structure. So we already don't have the accountability mechanisms offline. And then we're trying to do that in an online space where we haven't even had a conversation about efficacy and, and talking to people and the right ways to quote tweet people and reply and, and ask people things in the DMs. It's just really messy. Mm-hmm. And the but the people who've become uh victims the most i see are black women constantly over mm-hmm. and over and over again mm, yeah 100 percent. and even to go back a little bit to the point you you made earlier um just about the stuff that we write um becoming news articles mm. um like coming from a, a journalist point of view i always tell people if there are certain topics that you do not want to be in the newspaper, don't tweet about it. Because journalists are literally sitting on Twitter looking for what's trending. There's a whole section in each newspaper, literally on SEO, social media, of people are talking about this. You're then informing the media, you're informing one or two journalists in the country. One journalist writes about it, other journalists see it, write about it, then the whole country sees it. So, I mean, I don't know, is the question that we shouldn't tweet about things we don't want to be in the paper or it it shouldn't be written about? Like, where do you go from there? Well, we talk about this, we talk about this a lot in our workshops around, like, be careful, be careful before you tweet. And it's not at all to do to to victim blame or to kind of scare uh, women and non-binary people in our workshops around tweeting. It's just for Mm -hmm. them to be mindful about how a story can carry. Mm -hmm. I have been a victim of that i i tweeted when i was um racially profiled in a supermarket and i was mm-hmm. so distraught because i literally was in that supermarket i'm li- i was literally in that supermarket every tuesday after yoga right mm-hmm. um and there was one time where i was wearing like all black trainers and i wasn't with my mum and i usually go with my mum after, yeah. after our gym class but it was one time i was by myself hoodie up blacked out and I was racially profiled and I was in, it was embarrassing because I was a counsellor at the time I was in my area oh, I was in the car park and like I was just distraught and I was like 23 24 mm. so and I didn't have many followers as I did as I um now as I did then mm-hmm. so I tweeted and then oh my gosh the story got picked up by the local recorder mm. and that's also really important because the record your local newspapers that you're at Ilford recorder or Haringey whatever mm-hmm. you know, they they have a syndicate with um um the daily mail the daily yes. mirror like other yes. other like like uh, mainstream media mm-hmm. yeah and they ran the story toby if i tell you they mm-hmm. managed to find a photo of jeremy corbyn in there um, yeah. from my facebook <laughs> page went 
deep, deep into my Instagram mm-hmm. and find a photo of me, my mum and my grandma and put mm-hmm. it in there. Had nothing to do with it. Yeah. And obviously mm-hmm. it was just a way of being able to use my story to kind of uh, criticise Corbyn yeah. as well as then gaslight me about how did I know it was race, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. All I was yeah. doing was just trying to speak to the community online that I knew understand what I was going through. Yeah. And it basically just traumatised me. So we do talk about be careful what you tweet, not just from an online abuse perspective, but, you just, but this is the way journalists are trying to seek people out to go on Good Morning Britain and to speak yeah. on this morning. Oh my God. And yeah. <laughs> don't necessarily have the media training, not to give politicised and watered down answers, but don't have the uh, media training to know that what they may say might be seen as controversy off online or how they click the interview will be about something that is so like nuanced but taken in such a smooth yes. way to then to then cause a pylon and then they will go quiet when it comes to re- helping you report the abuse yeah um, putting a statement out of solidar- solidarity they go mm-hmm. quiet when it comes to that but they mm-hmm. will happen to use you for their five minute of fame mm-hmm. and i know a lot of people see activism campaigning speaking on on the media is like a really like cool profession and something that a lot of people want to get into without realizing the kind of consequences of that and the right. consequences too yeah yeah so i mean you've had a bit of a journey in life how old are you now um if you don't mind me asking i'm just turned 29 okay we're nearly age mates i'm about to turn 29 so hey. yeah, 29 going so in in your um very short life because we're young um you, <laughs> <laughs> you are now um a women's right activist and a campaigner um also the founder and director of glitch which is a non-profit campaign to end online abuse and in that time you've also been selected as the amnesty international human rights the rights the Defender in 2018 and listen your bio and then the digital <laughs> of the year in, in 2019 and I'm just going to condense it a little bit I'll, obviously um, before this episode began your your entire bio would have definitely been read out on this episode and um, now obviously the founder and executive director of Glitch um, and before that, as you previously just mentioned, and I'm sure people would have caught it, at age 23, you were selected as the youngest black female counsellor in East London for Newham, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, all yeah. of that. Yeah, and Glitch is now, <laughs> no, I was just going to say Glitch yeah. is now a charity as well. Which oh, is, okay. Okay. Yeah, so it's yeah. now like being a CEO, which is a really weird title to kind of embrace and a really different season of life that I'm in and like now now having just just turned 29 Mm -hmm. like really makes me feel like an adult and so (laughs) yeah it's it's been a mad 20 like 20s has been like the last nine years has been like a whirlwind like I I just I just feel like I graduated like six months ago (laughs) it's crazy how time flies and you're like I'm actually grown (laughs) (laughs) my direct debits for mommy i'm grown too but oh gosh (laughs) so i mean i I guess the answer is obvious but in case someone's listening they're like i don't get it why did you start up glitch yeah um i call itch uh, itch (laughs) i call glitch my oops baby um uh because i didn't plan to 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 be a CEO of a charity I I eventually knew through like um politics and like my blogs and stuff earlier on that I wanted to get into kind of gender education and and that sector but lo and behold got loads of rejection 
um, <laughs> emails. I actually was actually speaking with William, my boyfriend, um, so looking for a, a most up-to-date CV to send um, to a university. And I was like, oh, look at all these rejection um, uh, CVs that I basically have piled up on my, on my um, Mac Drive. And it's so funny that probably nine out of the 10 CVs that I came across, I've now all consulted for in some way or form. Wow. They paid me Ooh, to work I with them. love so that like, song. God. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I always knew I wanted to get in there, but like the, do- the doors of what well, were always closed, obviously being a black woman and we know patri- what patriarchy is like, we know what racism's like, and we also know what development's like mm-hmm. and the women's sector. So um, I didn't know if it was going to be for me, but um, when I, 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 uh, I knew I also wanted to get into politics. My friend Charlotte was um, stabbed at a house party when I was really young, oh, back gosh. in school. And I just, it, you know, there, there wasn't anything like the forefront, forefront project that um, exists now that's um, started up by Temi Mawala, which is looking at like a public health approach to mm-hmm. youth violence and supporting communities and the ripple effects of when one person is, when, when, when one young person is hurt, like how it affects like the school community. There was no like, proper conversation around like how much Charlotte's murder and death hurt mm. and affected us and Charlotte was like my neighbor we went to primary school together and secondary school and just one weekend she was gone mm. um, and so a lot of that kind of anger and like questioning showed me that politics was a way of decisions being made about my community and mm-hmm. we weren't there so I was like I want to be there mm. <laughs> and so it was that gobbiness that kind of stubbornness um and probably a little bit of naivety naivety was like okay i'm gonna get into politics so i did the whole youth council thing uk youth parliament and i was like i don't want to do the youth stuff yes it's good practice but i actually want to be where the adults are and so mm-hmm. it was that blindness if you like in and determined determinedness that got me elected at 23 and then um because i was young because i was black and a woman there was such kind of hype around um, my election, which was great because it allowed me to use it as a platform to encourage Christians to stand for politics, mm-hmm. young black women, and I, and I love it. And one of the opportunities of, um, uh, was to go to European Parliament to speak about how to engage more young people in kind of Europe. Well, I said, well, first of all, you've got to basically acknowledge, you know, how racist these institutions are. Mm. Um, but I remember there being a, uh, a refugee speaking on a panel um about the refugee crisis you know when it was at its height like when we saw that small boy washed away on the sea and even yeah. like the daily mail pretended to care for like 10 days uh-huh. yeah. and <laughs> um um and we were in the hemicycle of the european parliament in strasbourg hearing this amazing syrian refugee now in portugal speaking and all of you all of a sudden you have like this booing and heckling coming from um the French national which is basically like the French version of UKIP mm. they were heckling and they were horrible and I don't know if you've ever been in a place that does like um uh translations simultaneously my gosh it, oh, it was just confusing. a constant echo <laughs> of, of, yeah. of heckling it was ridiculous yeah confusing and it was just like mm. constant booing like after three or four seconds <laughs> um anyway I said I said look I'm not having this like I think it's disgusting we're meant to be here learning about what we can do to take, go back to our communities mm-hmm. um, to do more about the efforts. And I did. I was so inspired by this story that I, as a counsellor, was able to help my um, church, uh, Hillsong at the time, resettle a large Syrian family in Newham because um, wow. I was so inspired by their story. Uh, but heard all these heckling now. So I said something. I was 
and I, I basically was like you want us to go you don't want us to be here in your kind of unwelcoming country where it's both cold and you're rude give us reparations help restore back the kind of former colonized countries and we'll gladly leave like I'm happy to kind of pick planting <laughs> out of the ground rather than having to pay triple the price here with pesticides like, <laughs> yeah. back. and so I basically made this speech there was an uproar there was lots of support kind of long story short it went viral and it was positive like I mm -hmm. thought yes I'm gonna get invited to the Ellen show I'm gonna get a free car <laughs> I'm gonna I started point I started bookmarking all the free weave and makeup I wanted <laughs> like I thought I'm gonna get a blue tick Toby like on Twitter and Instagram I thought this was it and I was like Idris Elba's gonna know my name <laughs> none of that happens um but one day somebody posted um basically posted the video on like a neo-nazi website kind of mm. forum and it just sparked like a horrendous trolling episode mm. for like two to three weeks of like death threats rape threats you name it across like youtube and twitter mm. and the response from the tech companies was disgusting it was silent it was it was very much like gaslighting and re-traumatizing because mm. i'm like why am I being punished for mm. obeying your platform and your terms and conditions and yet you're not doing anything about mm. the abusive behavior from all of these people? And so that's where Glitch came about. It came as a kind of campaign of saying, I love the internet. There's no way I could have been a counselor or involved in politics the way I, the way I have been if it wasn't for the internet, for yeah. connecting with people. There's no way that I would have unlearned quite a lot of um bigotry ideology that i had picked up growing up as a kind of nigerian in a conservative household christian mm -hmm. i i've unlearned and shaped a whole new progressive identity yeah. because of the internet mm -hmm. and connecting with people i've fallen in love on the internet like I'm oh. later but i i'm with babe through hinge like i'm a big believer oh really <laughs> yeah yeah mm. but there's these big glitches that are stopping the internet from fulfilling its fullest potential and we have to do something to fix it and that's where glitch as a campaign burst for three years and then now we became a registered charity um and yeah now officially a ceo of a small charity and even mm. that toby is so weird because <laughs> you know i've always been a minoritized mm -hmm, a minoritized person at school and mm. then at university and then at work and then in politics mm. Mm. now to be in a sector where i'm one of the only young black women under the age of 30 running a, a charity is mind-boggling it's amazing and own it own it <laughs> own it it's mind-boggling yeah everything you want to unlearn from your hiring practices from yeah. like how you center self-care in your work in terms of how you want to run team meetings you're having to do everything from scratch you're really having to innovate because everything or 95% of the things that we have learned through work in the charity sector has been predicated on patriarchy, on, on supporting white women, on white slaverism. Yeah. And we have to really have to, I really have to unlearn that and be really intentional about telling people's stories, telling my story about mm. giving women boundaries. Are we equipping them? Are we empowering them? Are we, you know, like it's just mind boggling having to navigate this new season of life as one of the few black um, women in, in the kind of non-profit yeah. sector. That's why I rate Pemi Mawale so much because mm. I learned so much from her radicalness. Uh, and so in, in that times, with everything you've said and the journey you've gone on, I did see recently that you have a partnership with Twitter. Um, tell me more about that and how that came about and what that is about. You know, it's so funny. I hope one day I do get a, uh, a chance to kind of really pause and like, 
go on some kind of like guided reflective coaching week mm-hmm. to really look back at the last like four years because it's mad that I I we now have a partnership with the platform that basically sparked glitch it's so yeah it's crazy crazy. yeah Um, (laughs) yeah um so there's two things so when we saw um a lot more uh videos of police brutality being shared online Mm -hmm. me and lauren who's another black member of uh, of the glitch team was just like this is really hard to see and it's going to be a lot harder to see during lockdown because it's going to be in your face like you wake up and you're seeing it it's draining what do we do and so Mm -hmm. we had conversations particularly when we saw Desmond, um, a black man in Manchester, be violently tasered by the police oh, yes, in front yeah. of his daughter. And we thought, yeah. we've got to talk about Black Lives Mattering online too. Mm-hmm. Then George Floyd happened. And we were like, we have to talk about how these platforms need to give users better agency around their platforms, mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. how they upload content and mm-hmm. making sure that it protects black people's mental health. And not a way, not in any way are we saying that we want to um, dampen freedom of expression or freedom of speech. We want to see these things. We just want black people to have a choice in when they see it. And you know, when you've seen it once, you don't yeah. need to keep seeing it again and again no, and again. Exactly. You, don't you remember to... forever. Yes, exactly. You don't, you don't even have the option of muting videos and stuff like that, mm-hmm. like you can mute accounts. So that basically sparked with the Black Lives Matter Online 2 um, petition. We had over 300,000. Um, petitioners in like a few weeks we had conversations with google facebook tiktok and twitter twitter agreed that there was lots more that they should be doing out there to support black community they agreed Mm -hmm. that they need to be consistent about um uh about trigger warnings and sensitive Mm -hmm. materials particularly in trending topics Mm -hmm. on that page when you see Mm -hmm. black lives matter making sure that there is a kind of support there for black users and that's where they posted that thread acknowledging our kind of work and importance of digital self-care which is something i personally and glitch has been championing mm-hmm. and then we were asked to be part of twitter's trust and safety council oh, wow. um, and i owned it for a long time saw a lot of council we've got an amazing governing body because i wanted to make sure that we retained our critical friendship with tech companies but we still were independent but, um, you know, so far, we said we're going to pilot for a year, and so far it's been working really well to provide that voice um, around intersectionality, around misogynoir online, which is often forgotten. We saw what happened over the weekend. Um, so where where you have a white face and a black face in oh, yes. photo, and the Twitter algorithm will pick up the white face and center that mm-hmm. in, in, in the post, mm-hmm. in the tweet. Like and that allows us to have really good um, conversations and honest conversations with the platform to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and yeah, it's it, it's amazing. It's 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 fascinating. It's it's amazing because people do degrees for this stuff. People work. You know, people are constantly told no. They don't have the expertise or the experience. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I hope that this inspires people with lived experience to say that you can make a change. You yeah. don't need to go down this kind of formalized. Um, a route to try basically um, prevent more diversity in tech and more diversity in tech ethics as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think what you mentioned, you know, about um, 
um, especially during the, the resurfacing of the Black Lives Matter movement this summer and, you know, content like I, I, I've, I've done episodes on, on this pod about there is no re- neat reason for us to see black people dying on video. Like you could be minding your own business. I could be like cooking up breakfast and I'll just look at my phone and I had no idea George Floyd had happened. And I mm. could just literally that intrusion. And then it's been happening for me personally for about six mm. years. I looked back at my tweets and I've been saying this for six years that I do not think we need to be able to see death like that. It's not normal to see black bodies on mm-hmm. screen. It shouldn't just because honestly, we don't see it in with other cases. I don't want to name names of people who have mm-hmm. passed mm-hmm. on, but in the UK, mm-hmm. there have been incidences that have been heavily documented, but we never saw that person's dead body as it should mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it should be the same. And I remember during the Olympics, um, mm when people like anyone really online they were trying to stream the olympics 2000 uh, when was the olympics 2016 and they were like trying yeah. to put clips i because i was a journalist at the time and i would see with i would literally see within one minute two minutes those streams and videos being taken down so yes. i was like okay yes. so yes. why and then obviously news news channels and stuff at first were posting up george floyd without blurring out anything they changed that with a lot of people like yourself and myself complaining about it so like what you say is very very interesting and I, I, basically i say all of that to say that i really appreciate what you're doing in that regard because like we've been saying it for so long um but people are put, doing people like you are doing the work to you know make changes because i really don't want to bring kids into this world and they know what it looks like yeah. for a black man to die by bullets for a black man to die by by you know by being strangled it's absolutely not normal yeah. you know um it's, it's yeah it's mad because we've had to go through this journey in talking about white saverism in international development where mm-hmm. we don't want to keep seeing photos of um black young black malnourished kids with mm-hmm. swollen bellies as a way of white people being able to feel like they can give mm-hmm. and it's a whole feeling into like black people have dignity and are humans mm-hmm. and shit you know there's, we had to do so much there's lots of conversations with you know david uh, david lammy and that bbc3 presenter and ed Sheeran. we've had lots of conversations around that we've kind of understood that poverty porn is wrong mm-hmm. we've discussed as well that um uh there's ways of being able to evoke emotion without re-traumatizing communities but when it comes to black people and black faces black bodies black experiences black pain it's like we've forgotten can't compute can't compute that same ethics and uh duty of care applying to to us mm. and there, for me personally we have documentation of our pain from slavery mm-hmm. colonialism oh, yeah we have documentation of holocaust we have um we have documentation of um uh the of, of the rwanda um genocide genocide thing yeah. we have documentations of what happened in the iraq war that hasn't changed anything like mm-hmm. we, can, we go there's museums mm-hmm. that show us what it was like for jewish people in concentration camps we have five years of curriculum on the war um on the world war ii and why it happened and hitler that still hasn't stopped there being dictators mm-hmm. in 20 in 2021 yeah so i'm a little bit like how many times you have to keep depicting black people as less than to evoke some 
temporary change like we saw in 2020 over the summer mm. and then people start forgetting about paying people during Black History Month making mm-hmm. yeah. and not like Camp, I just I'm just a little bit like yeah this is this isn't a, this this is about centering white people to feel better about giving back yeah. rather than really doing more to help um black communities thrive yeah 100 percent. and on that note how do you deal with anxiety of well I'm, I'm, I'm first of all the question should be do you get anxious online when you are posting yeah. online yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 i mean um one thing i had to really deal with um when taking glitch as a campaign and working and working for it to be a sustainable charity is working on myself and working mm-hmm. on my trauma and making sure that glitch stayed vibrant and young we're not like we're not like other um older charities um uh i had to work on making sure that we've championed lived experience and were trauma informed but not trauma led right and i think okay. that's very important for a lot of ca- activists and campaigners who who become activists and campaigners overnight because of their pain whether it's fgm or it's upskirting or it's you know uh harassment on the tube whatever it is it's burnt mm. out of a pain and that can only take you so so far before it becomes addictive and becomes volatile and becomes mm. um painful and it you know there were times where it restricted me from speaking on behalf of glitch because i was so worried it, it would it would um, cause me to um, have bad, like a bad health, bad relationship with food and money, mm. and, and I had to do a lot to work on it on myself. And uh, thank God for the NHS, where I was able to get um, a lot of CBT and therapy, um, have a lot of wise counsel, and begin to set boundaries around my online space and around how I tell my story. Mm-hmm. So I'm able to tell my story in a lot more details to people that I trust and communities that I trust, like on this podcast. But if I was to go and tell this, answer the first question you asked me about how, how was Glitch formed mm-hmm. on BBC One or et cetera, oh my gosh, it's a very much, it's very much a watered down. Mm. Like I was talking about racial justice in European parliament and it sparked abuse. Like that is mm. all I will give you because I don't want to be re-traumatized it's about owning my own narrative okay. and story, right? And not for white people's consumption. Um, and then I'm, I'm because of what I do, because of the training that we deliver for women and non-binary people, I'm so much more hyper aware of like how this post could be taken, whether it's a photo that might show my location, whether it's a photo that might show something of somebody else, how I quote tweet, because I definitely believe um, I'm hold, held to a higher standard because of the things that we preach. Mm-hmm. I think to a certain extent, yes, I think I should I should role model the things that I'm saying because um, uh, you need to practice what you preach. But I think there's a in, there's a hotbed of um, making women work harder and making them be more answerable to stuff and lack of trust, mm-hmm. and also being black as well. I think people are looking for me to fail and looking for stuff to mm-hmm. to 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 pull me up on rather than like support me and call me in Mm. and so i'm much more conscious about what i post for so many different reasons and just you know last week i've overcome the whole um anti-trans movement coming for me because our covid19 report that looked at the experience of 
women online and non-binary people online to show that it had in, that online abuse had increased during COVID mm. because we talked about non-binary people that sparked so much abuse from white middle-class women like like numb like I've never seen before and mm. that took a lot of me talking to like my boyfriend like like trustees mm-hmm. and the team and like being really honest about it and I, because I think that's another thing that we have to put this bravado that like the, the abuse doesn't hurt it, it flipping hurts it, it does hurts. yeah it's personal it's, it's targeting yeah it's, it's it's offensive it's rude it's gaslighting mm-hmm. and so I t- try and balance that as well but yeah I don't want to say because I found the glitch that I I'm able to kind of have this sword on the and and and, and conquer the online space I totally mm-hmm. haven't yeah yeah and i appreciate that honesty because um i'm sure everyone who's most people are listening probably watched a documentary on netflix called social dilemma well mm. as ha- have you watched have you watched social dilemma i'll tell you why i haven't watched it okay. i don't need to be reminded yeah or gaslit in saying oh we didn't realize this was going to happen when yeah. there was been there's been so many activists and campaigners yeah. saying you need to pay attention to this and it's only till they left they got a severance pay or they got a good payout or whatever Thank it was you. that they're now doing a netflix show which they get mm-hmm. paid for to talk yeah. about how bad their former company is yeah when there's so many they can say well we wrote to you and we told you and you didn't take it seriously mm-hmm. yeah i did find the documentary very interesting i as someone i've worked on social and i've been on social I was like, well, this isn't, this isn't necessarily new. There was nothing mind blowing about the documentary, but I did watch people be mind blown by it. So I was like, okay, you've, you've woken up, so to speak. But I kept thinking of the people speaking. I was like, you're literally talking about the things you invented. You are the inventor of the like button. And you're talking about, you know, Uh... how psychologically manipulative it is. And then the, you know, the addiction behind it. Like one interesting fact that I learned from a a psychologist, um, I was listening to a podcast called Black Girls Living and a therapist was on there. She was saying the addictiveness that a lot of us have with social media, it's Uh... the same effect that people who are addicted to addicted to drugs and alcohol have on their brain your brain doesn't know what addiction it is it's an addiction right so we're all going through that which leads to depression and anxiety which is why i did ask that um anxiety question because i i think it's really important that especially someone like you you know you the work that you do talking about openly about the anxiety that you get from being online because I definitely have it um online even when I publish an article I'm like oh my god this is the end and sometimes once it is the end I'm like oh they're not gonna like this one are they like because it could be about their fave like I remember I was right I was reporting on Michael Jackson a lot um the court cases I I received it from Michael Jackson fans I didn't even tweet out the articles they found me and it was really bad like a lot of people don't know because I wasn't share I would just like be ignoring it and tweeting rubbish while they were abusing me but it was like wow I didn't even say he did it I'm just reporting on the the facts of the court case and it's just those little things and you a lot of people won't know that that's what I've been through you know and I do wonder who's sitting at home so anxious over just maybe a picture or maybe people not enough people have liked their instagram pictures that blows my okay, mind there's a question so i've got a question for you there yeah Did, when you were doing your journalist journalism training and you mm-hmm. the places you've worked for and the opportunities that you know you're either asked to write for or you seek out or pitch for has anybody given you any training or advice around trolling no no and i believe that there should be um 
more recent no training whatsoever not while mm-hmm. i was in university mm-hmm. not even mm-hmm. when i'm joining a team or whatever um more recently though like some people at work will kind of speak out on it and then the advice you use i can say this freely now because as we speak at the time of speaking i'm a freelancer so i can say whatever i want um but sometimes you know your boss could be like oh just ignore it you know yeah i've had a colleague though who had a boss who said you can report this to the police or gave them permission to report to the police which is a very rare the in my cases it's literally like oh just ignore it are you okay but nothing nothing of the sort toby there's so much i want to unpack there number (laughs) one i think we're never going to get proper representation of our stories if we don't have representation of ourselves in journalism Mm -hmm. and a barrier to having people that look like us in journalism is online abuse that's number Mm. one so if they want to do diversity and do all their dni stuff blah 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 they have to talk about online abuse Mm. secondly there is a need in the strategy around pit pitching or writing stories to understand that when a black woman or a ex-minoritized community is writing a story, they are going to receive abuse differently than yep. a white man. 100%. And it's in the ignorance of that, that kind of fake color blindness that um, causes the trauma. Because if you were more prepared, when like you were like, okay, I'm gonna write this Michael Jackson story. I know what's going on. You can kind of equip yourself. You can put things in place. You can make your um, Twitter profile private. You mm-hmm. can, uh, you know, you can have the option of not having your name to it. You know, th- you can just think yeah. it through. You can do that kind of internal risk assessment. Mm-hmm. If your employer doesn't even open up that dialogue, when you're looking at the power dynamics, how can you as the most junior person in that organization or even a freelancer make those kind of negotiations? And I think we saw from our COVID-19 report um, that uh, when everyone was kind of being forced to work from home and kitchen and living rooms and gardens were being made the kind of improvised workspace there was very 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 little conversation around online safety around around workplace harassment online around online sexual harassment all sorts of stuff right Mm. and we saw in our in our report that only six people who who were serving we had almost 500 women and non-binary people across the uk complete this form Mm -hmm. only six percent received some form of updated guidance or information around online safety wow so we've we've thrusted the internet onto people in a Mm. new way and probably the the the, the way forward for the next at least 18 months we haven't provided any guidance so i think employers have to really reflect around what conversation do you have with your employees what check-ins do you have on their well-being and mental health when it comes online what solidarity statements will you or will, will you not put out when it comes to particular stories because mm. i constantly see young female journalists be thrown under the bus when of something they've written has been approved by the editors mm-hmm. they've written the, t- the title and then be like oh we'll take it down because it's caused too much controversy yeah controversy and but it's that, too late that young journalist name having to deal with it mm-hmm. and yeah. so I yeah I really I really urge people both sides of your employee freelancing or employers think about your digital self-care plan and we've got mm-hmm. resources on our website I love tweeting about it I love having a conversation about it I hope to write a book about it soon yeah about you having online boundaries and agency and you having a plan in place for when you are going to be more public and more pro- more have more of a profile and also having that conversation with your loved ones so like William had to have a lot of conversation with me. He's like, do you mind just like turning it down a little bit about like our selfies and like our movements? <laughs> oh, really? Online. Uh... Yes, 
and that's absolutely fine. And I think mm. that, that regular checking with yourself, with your loved ones around your digital security as well, making sure you're not uploading too much content that can that people can now work out your date of birth and security questions and put your um, so uh, true, kind of yeah. online account to at risk. You know, that's why when people are saying it's their birthday and how old they are, I'm a little bit like, don't tell people. Yeah, <laughs> oh my gosh. How, how old you are. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I just, yeah, it's just those things. And, and we as women, because we've been conditioned by society to serve others and always put ourselves last, not even second, last, it's a new phenomenon to talk about boundaries and self-care offline. And it's so new and weird and, and, and different for people to do that online as well. But we have to start making that the new behavior because it's freaky. So I'm, I'm seeing memes now on Instagram of like um, young, young, like generation, like uh, Zed, where the meme is like from a guy saying, if she, if she doesn't give you her password, she's a hoe. Like, that huh? is exactly that is stalking that is like ha, so that, that possessive. Is, that's so possessive it's, it's so problematic right but that is the new culture of like people sharing passwords now with their friends and 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 not even their boyfriends just people they're talking to can you imagine back in oh my day, god our day, sharing your msn <laughs> password with a link <laughs> never never but all these kids I, are definitely growing up in a, in a new world differently to us because we're as millennials so most millennials are pushing 40 um <laughs> yeah i know i like to remind people that because people love to be like oh millennials are so young and on tiktok i'm like no millennials are pushing 40 mm-hmm. but as millennials we grew up with the internet as the internet grew we yeah. grew so it's kind of like we kind of have the best we had the best of both worlds i guess but gen z they some of them grew with just walking into like primary school with a phone i never had that what was a mobile phone no. We never had that. No, I mean, I remember, I, I, I remember my 3310 Nokia, mate. That, was a, <laughs> that. that was a good phone. Good. But you're right, but we, we, we are the only generation that had both analog and digital. Yeah. So therefore, yeah. it's our analog life that allows us to make more informed decisions mm. about being savvy online. Mm-hmm. So we're more critical about accepting cookies and giving our data and information because mm-hmm. we knew what it was like we know to have boundaries around spending not spending too much time online because we used to play out yeah, we used to, like, yeah. do stuff outside right so we can it's easier for us to kind of grapple with boundaries but i i per, i deliver workshops for all sorts of people and we have different types of clients celebrities actors uh, women in politics internationally we've done it in different languages and being translated i've you know i've done it all over the last three coming up to four four years um, but the hardest group to kind of under, to kind of uh, build a relationship with and the rapport with, and I like to think that I've I've got personality and I'm funny. It's not yep. that it, they don't understand like boundaries, mm. strong passwords. What? Mm. And that's not <laughs> because there are some savvy people on TikTok that have been. There's a community on TikTok that talk about tech accountability in a really innovative way around yeah, I've seen that, um, yeah. around beating the algorithms, and that's why it was really mm-hmm. powerful to see k-pop fans um, oh i love um, k-pop fans and they love me back whenever i write an article <laughs> k-pop they're fans amazing. they're amazing right and they're so savvy in like yeah. the algorithms but that's yeah. not that 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 we need to build on that education mm-hmm. and make that the the the, the, the norm that we mm-hmm. can fight the algorithms and fight uh bad behavior online and set new precedences and new efficacy rather than following where I think actually adults have set bad, bad, bad role models and bad examples. We've seen mm. 
we've Katie Hopkins, we've seen your Wiley, we've seen mm. um, all sorts of people get away with all sorts of rubbish online with no re- with no repercussion. Yeah. Or if it, it's very, very late. Um, and so no wonder why Generation Z is like, I'm going to do whatever I want online. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, on that note, cancel culture, <laughs> what is your opinion on that? I'll preface by saying that I believe that now, like we know what cancel culture is, but now I, I think there's like a subgenre that has emerged from cancel culture where people are now dragging individuals which they have more access right. to across the timeline. And now it just appears that it's been done for their own entertainment or for the entertainment of others yeah. rather than what can what cancel culture should be about, which I think is accountability. Am I do you believe that I'm correct or incorrect in that? Uh, I agree with you with certain aspects, mm-hmm. but it goes back to my answer, my first answer that we haven't dealt with accountability offline, but okay. we just automatically thought we could do it online. Oh, so mm. everyone's like, oh, I'm going to call that person up, call them in. How would you tell me, first of all, how you would do that offline? Mm. People, so people have jumped to doing it online, but haven't even worked out how they would do it offline. And it's just, it just feels really backwards to me. Mm. Um, I'm a, I'm a Christian, uh, definitely a reformed or progressive Christian than I was growing up, but I remember mm-hmm. when I thought I was going to be a pastor's wife. <laughs> a, a story for a different podcast. Um, but I remember when I was doing Bible studies, I remember you know, heavenly talking about accountability within the church and about when Jesus was talking, well, in, in, the, in the New Testament, it talked about um, when, when somebody does wrong, you pull them to the side. When somebody does wrong, you get their elder. When somebody yeah, does wrong yeah. again, then you do it in front of the congregation. And yeah. we jumped from doing it offline, in person, grabbing a coffee, etc., etc., to doing it online in such a public arena with a digital footprint that lasts forever. forever. It, just, it just, for me, feels like we've skipped too many steps. My, my movement I care about is the kind of intersectional feminist movement in the UK. And I think there's mm-hmm. so much that we need to learn in terms of organizing, in terms of infrastructure from the US around accountability, around self-care. And I don't, I, I, I it's so funny when we talk about accountability, we all jump to the cou- council culture. Council culture can't equal accountability because it's the negative bit. It's the bad bit of accountability. For me, accountability should be about your, your professional development, your self-care, mm. your well-being, and then correcting you. You can't correct someone who hasn't, hasn't gone through the education. You're correcting, you're correct, we're correcting people to the standard of wokeness that we don't know they've walked yet. And you're uh, demanding that of yeah. them, and then they'll just end up performing online. So yeah. I just find it really, I want us, you know, I hope that once I'm able to kind of retire from Glitch, maybe pick up a kind of presidency role, like uh, live, live Little from Gowden, has done with um, uh, with Gaudium. I really mm-hmm. want to look into what accountability structures would look like in the UK around feminism and anti-racism mm. so that there is an intergenerational sh- sharing of knowledge, there's peer-to-peer sharing, there's self-care, there's, we don't value and, um, and, uh, and, and honour burnout so much as we do in our activist movement yeah we are, are we look at different forms and models of leadership where it's about collective leadership and group leadership rather than this like one um charismatic um male masculine type leadership that we've adopted from patriarchy and white supremacy 
that we really you know turn it around to look at our, our, our structures differently and then have a conversation about how that applies online it might mean that we have to actually have this conversation a lot sooner sooner because more of 2021 is going to be spent online and lots oh God, of yeah. conversations are going to be had about the gender recognition act about brexit about um aid about immigration and we haven't set up the frameworks to have a dialogue we haven't set up the frameworks to support people and leaders and movements and campaigners to be able to go into the lines then equipped with um, intersectional framing and and um and ideology mm-hmm. um and then we then set them up to fail and then we and then we think that we can do indirects on twitter and custom like Eesh. i just it's just yeah really, it's just really weird to me yeah the flip side is where i think uh council culture that we have now has stemmed from was the ability to hold institutions to account yeah and that's something that i care about a lot around um it being about the institutions and systematic systematic change rather than um about the individual although some individuals are idiots (laughs) yeah (laughs) um um, but I think you, you we used to use social media as a way of like saying, "Hey, ex airline, why are you ignoring my emails?" Or, "Hey, yeah. ex person, you um you uh you racially uh, abused me or racially profiled me or whatever." It was a lot. It allowed the most marginalized voices offline to be able to have more of a cultural capital and currency online mm-hmm. to hold power and institutions to account. Yeah, but we don't see that happening anymore. We turn against each other. Yeah, and I think if we're talking about conversation as a black woman as well having you know i've had to reflect on what defunding the police means in my work around mm. deterrence and around prosecution right if we generally believe in in um defunding the police and more of a public health approach to um to criminal justice or whatever it is um we need to apply that on the online space too we need to apply that to each other and not go to what feels like a very masculine uh, aggressive style of, of 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 behavior rather than one of education one of hope one of optimism one of self-care one of seeing the best of each other one of nurturing a, a relationship um and yeah that's why it's hard for me to kind of talk about council culture in just the kind of two seconds or two, yeah two part threads because it's 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 a symptom and a fruit of a deficit of conversations we should have been having for over the last 10 years and I understand why we haven't been able to have those conversations because we've been fighting the fight whether <laughs> yeah. it's been you know whether it's been the protests in 2000 and um, was it nine whether it's or 10 I can't remember when the protests were um the riots oh yeah uh, 2011 I think 11 yes you're yeah. right 2011 we've always been in the fight so mm-hmm. now you want us to take a step back and start looking about infrastructure it's really hard I mean, yeah so I totally get that which is why I think the philanthropists and the, and, and, and the philanthropy sector should be funding more thinking time for leaders and more, more collaboration and community building amongst movements rather than just um, project-based. Yeah, yeah. But that's a yeah that's a good answer because like yeah cancel culture i don't think is one dimensional the whole like online accountability and we have to think about the context as you said um about where we are coming from as people and like you said earlier in this conversation like on the online world when it comes to social media and social media communities in such a mainstream way is fairly new like fairly mm. new you know like 
we weren't born with it so it's new enough and like I said we're young so <laughs> it's, it's not mm. been around for that long um we are running out of time and if if we had more time I would have gone into romance online especially as you um, mentioned <laughs> uh, you know finding your partner on hinge and yeah, you know that hinge mad. success story I love that because girl I don't know how I don't know how people do it <laughs> on hinge mad. I'm like it's how so are people doing it it's so mad. It's so mad. Literally, meant like three three weeks before lockdown. Really? Oh my gosh! Um, and that didn't yeah, yeah, that didn't yeah. stop anything. No, no. I love it. Probably felt like the Big Brother house. It was probably a lot more amplified. So we went through a lot of the phases you would go through in a relationship. But um, and also because for a lot of people, COVID and lockdown brought an inward reflection for people, and to, and and I made a lot of people grow up and a lot mm-hmm. of people be more mature. And that definitely mm-hmm. me. And so I think it allowed me to be uh, a better girlfriend and a better companion and a partner to somebody because, you know, it was, there was time to sit, rest and, and to yeah, talk. Yeah. Whereas I think you could have, we could have got gassed in kind of spending money, going on dates, doing yeah. vacation. I mean, we did do vacation. We went to Brighton. Um, but, <laughs> uh, we went to Brighton the week we should have gone to Afro Nation. Oh! <laughs> another conversation. But I, but yeah, I, uh, yeah, I I am grateful to, for for Hinge. I never ever thought who we we often um, say memes to each other, and one of our favorite memes is um, uh, one one is tough times never last. Last tough people do, and mm. it's that black man who goes. That's that one. And the second one is um, uh, uh, the one with the chicken, the hot chicken uh, game show kind of. Oh thing. yeah, the yeah the, the yeah the hot ones. Thought, yeah. We would have, yeah, the hot ones. Yeah. Who would have thought we would have been here? Not me. Not me. Like, we say often <laughs> to each other because we couldn't think that this thing on him would be a thing. I love that meme. That is actually my favourite meme. <laughs> and I love speaking in memes. So <laughs> love speaking in memes so much. I think it's the best language. Kobe, let's do this. Like I mean because it's on your podcast, we own the rights to it now. Yeah. Um let's do an online game show during the next lockdown it's like charades we have to act out memes oh my god i will win that <laughs> <laughs> let's do it let's post it that has to actually be done even though i'm not hoping for a lockdown but i mean you know mm. <laughs> we, we know what our politicians are like i know language and i see it but yeah um (laughs) (laughs) enough of that um but thank you so so much for coming on the pod it's a long time coming and i'm so glad we were able to get it done yes thank you so much for having me i really wanted to do this it's one of the things i wanted to do for black history month so i'm really really pleased i've been able to speak so thank you and thank you for all that you do in journalism as well and if now now it's good to know you're freelancing because perhaps you can write a few things for us at the end yeah we, we will we will talk about that we'll definitely talk about that um let everyone know your social medias and where they can find you glitch the website and everything like that yeah so you can find glitch on fixtheglitch.org where glitch uk underscore on instagram twitter and facebook and you can find me talking about uh hinge romances idris elba and <laughs> online abuse at shayi <laughs> I love the Idris other thing. Um, one day I'll probably try and get you guys to meet. That 
The Amen. hashtag for that this rate. <laughs> You've mentioned him like twice. <laughs> well, thank Amen. you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank, thank you for listening, baby. everyone. It's Yellow Cup Podcast, the hashtag Yellow Cup Podcast on Instagram and Yellow Cup Pod on Twitter. Bye bye. See you in two Thursdays. Talk up, talk up, speak up, speak up, speak up, speak up, speak up, yellow cup, relax, relax, speak up, speak up, speak up, yellow cup, yellow cup, what's up, what's up, spill that, spill that, see down, see down, yellow cup, yellow cup, what's up, what's up, speak up, speak up, relax, relax, yellow cup, yellow cup. You are now listening to Yellow Cup Podcast with Toby Rachel.